Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Bite.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. First up, a lengthy discussion and prognostication with Scott McCartney, the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal. What will happen with your travels this year? Scott has some bold predictions ranging from airfare costs to entry requirements for countries, from frequent flyer programs to the possibility of a nationwide mask mandate. And then a subject that's been surprisingly accelerated for many of you by the pandemic, retirement. Malika Mitra from Money Magazine stops by to talk about her report on the top 10 places to retire in America with some brave new world metrics as well as some surprises. And of course, a new definition of retirement. First up, Scott McCartney. There's just so much to talk about in this uh, in this first month of the new year. Of course, the first thing I want to say is Happy New Year and Happy New Year. And the second thing is how happy I am that it's not 2020. Uh, but let's not get too excited because there's still a lot of stuff we got to deal with to, to get us over the hump from that terrible year we just basically survived, uh, barely. Uh, and uh, But is, is there good news ahead? Are there things that we can, can anticipate? Are there things that we can prepare for? Are there things we can strategically think about so that our travels, first of all, not only happen, but they happen in a beneficial and, and genuinely uh, you know, productive way? And the answer, I believe... Is yes, of course. I'm not saying that in a vacuum. I'm going to talk to the professor himself, the travel editor for the Wall Street Journal, uh, Nostradamus himself, <laughs> the uh, the Honorable Scott McCartney. How are you, sir? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Good. Well, Happy New Year, sir. I mean, and and, and I and I saw the, the the piece that you just did for the for the for the Wall Street Journal, and the first thing you're talking about, I've already experienced, uh, and that is that you know. Airline prices, not to mention cruise ship prices and every other kind of prices, hotels as well, are all over the map. It's it's sort of like they're throwing stuff up against the wall. Well, that's exactly right. And I think in many cases, um, there are high prices out there, particularly for airlines, um, where they're trying to gauge how much demand there may be at, uh, at different price points. Um, because we are 
starting from scratch. Uh, I actually did some tracking of, of prices in different markets uh, for the same dates each month for the next 11 months. And, and you can find unbelievable deals, uh, you know, January, February, March, e- even some into, into April. Um, but then airlines uh, uh, think that people are going to want to really want to start traveling in summer. And, and I think that's right. You know, the, the hope is that it, they might be vaccinated, might be, might be safe. So people, there's so much pent-up demand, people are dying to go. So they're starting to buy tickets for summer and, and, and then into the fall. And so you see prices really jump in some markets. Um, it, you know, some places where people aren't going to go, they're going to be, be bargains. In some places on certain dates, uh, you know, I think all of a sudden there's going to be sudden demand or, or more demand than anticipated. And so uh, you'll see some wild fluctuations in, in prices. Um, I do think that airlines are going to uh, – they will raise prices before they will add more capacity, uh, and, and, you know, it'll take longer for the capacity to come back. And, and so this is the year of um, great uncertainty in pricing. You know, when I see the uncertainty as it applies to me, I, I, you know, last week I was flying from Fort Lauderdale to LaGuardia. The airfare was $18. <laughs> when, I mean, <laughs> on United Airlines. Are you serious? Um <laughs> Last and you know I, I I I've talked about this before. There's no rhyme or reason except to realize that where airlines are charging so little, you have to ask yourself what's in the belly of the plane, and the answer is cargo. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's right. That's um, uh, you know that's why they're still flying international trips when you know with ten passengers and things like that. Um, dom- domestically, I, you know, I think airlines really believe that they can pretty much fill planes at, at any, you know, any price. They can cut the price low enough so that there will be people who will go, um, even if in, a, in a pandemic. Uh, and so when you see high prices now, and this is part of the volatility, doesn't mean those high prices are going to last. Um, it may be that nobody buys at $500, and so they do have to cut it to $200 and, and maybe even down to $18 um, to fill seats. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example that was crazy because it's something that happened after one airline posted a fare. You and I have talked about this before. Every once in a while, an airline will, will – it's like a typo. They'll post a mistake fare. You know, like I remember years ago, uh, Air France posted a flight – uh, from Honolulu to Paris for $99. And it was supposed to be $1,999. And they got caught, but they actually honored the fare. Uh, well, this is not that story. There was an airline two weeks ago that posted a fare business class from New York to Sao Paulo for $489. Hmm. And that airline was American Airlines. Yeah. Now, here's the funny part of the story. Within 30 seconds... Delta Airlines matched the fare. So yeah. it's like it wasn't a mistake fare. They were just throwing it out there. And then, and so Delta said, okay, we'll do it too. I mean, when was the last time you heard of a real fare business class from New York to Brazil for $489? No, it's, it, it, that, that part really is crazy. Um, but, you know, in, in, in both those cases, for both those airlines, um, those, those flights are operating for cargo. And so whatever they can get in the cabin um, is, is, is worth it to them. The, the crew has to fly. All the costs are, are there. Um, and, 
And with cargo these days, they can pretty well cover their costs. Um, so if they can get, uh, you know, five people to pay $400, um, that's, you know, $1,000 more each way uh, than, of, of more revenue than they had when they, when they had empty seats. Exactly. Okay, so basically Scott McCartney's number one predi- prediction is fasten your seatbelt. Airfares are going to be flying in every direction. You just got to be very careful and watch that space frequently. Now, number two, and I talked about this earlier in the show, get ready for the, well, for the introduction in one way or the other of an immunity passport or or, or just proof of vaccination. Yeah, and I think I think with that um, is really likely to come proof of negative test as well. Um, I, I think, you know, both may be required by some countries. Um, we've, we've seen um, just just recently uh, Canada imposed a negative test requirement, but they're not waiving their 14 day quarantine. Um, so so you have to have both. And I think the same could happen, at least for a while, with um, immunization where uh, you may have to um, uh, show in your airline record that you've been vaccinated uh, and uh, that you have a negative test. Now, some countries may be one or the other. Um, they'll let you in with a negative test. It's, it's really going to vary. And this, is, this, this complexity, this uh, variation is going to drive travelers crazy. Um, you know, what's the requirement for a negative test in uh, – uh, in the Netherlands, it's different than in Italy um, in terms of 72 hours or longer or shorter. Uh, what's the time period for the negative test, things like that. But I think the bottom line is um, your health record is going to be part of um, your, your airline record. Um, so just as the airline has to put in your passport and if required any visa information, the airline's going to also have to upload uh, health information and so there are apps coming that you'll be able to take your um, your vaccination certificate and upload it to your airline profile or uh, apps where you can take a picture of your negative test results or, or, or load the email that you get from the testing center and, uh, and send that on to the airline. Um, it's going to be really tricky, but I think uh, the more we get into travel, the more uh, countries and even some states are are going to amp up um, the requirements that you, you're going to have to prove to get in. Exactly. And up next on the prices, right? You predict something that I've already experienced that I guarantee people listening to the show will also experience. You call it a frequent flyer free for all. Yeah, I actually think that you know I probably should have made this one number one. I, I think this is going to be a huge issue for for this year. Um, you know, airlines gave everybody a pass on requalification for elite levels of frequent flyer programs uh, for for 2020. Um, so your your 2019 status got got extended. Um, well, fine, but now in 2021, you are going to have to requalify, and that means spending a certain amount and flying a certain amount, um, depending on the level, depending on the airline. Um, some a few airlines have actually reduced the requalification levels. Uh, a few have said, hey, we'll count uh, miles and spending from uh, 2020 as, as well as whatever you do in 2021. Um, but look, uh, you know, flying is still uh, grounded um, right now, uh, except for, you know, a few, a few people going a few places uh, in a few days. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and so when is it going to start? Are you going to have a half year to, to reach your, <laughs> your status level? But we're not done yet. Scott's got another one, which I'm actually in favor of. And I think it's going to happen. It did not happen under the Trump administration because they had a, a much more anti-regulatory approach to to travel. But this one is, I almost think, inevitable. And Scott calls it the mask mandate. Yeah, yeah, I think it's and it's not just uh, you know regulatory. It, it's um, it's the image you want to project of safety um, with uh, coronavirus. Uh, I think the Biden administration will put through a mask mandate for for airlines. Uh, for airplanes. Um, the interesting thing to me about this is, you know, the federal government, um, in terms of jurisdiction, it, it can it can require things only on federal property. Um, so, na- you know, national parks, um, uh, federal courthouses uh, can require masks there. Um, but one one big sweeping area where that is under federal jurisdiction. Um, is commercial airline service in in the United States um, not regulated by states? So I think it's a it's a good high visible way um, to sort of uh, hammer home that things are different. We're gonna we're gonna take masks more seriously, um, and I think airlines welcome this. I think airline crews welcome this uh, as as you know it's a it's a bit symbolic since airlines have already had um, mask mandates, but. Uh, people have been cheating, and and they are. Some people are happy to challenge the authority of flight attendants. Uh, it's been difficult for them to enforce this, making it a federal rule punishable by some kind of fine or or whatever. Uh, I think that that will um, force more compliance, and that's a good thing. You know, when you go back to it to put it in perspective, when you get on a plane, on any airplane, you're instructed to. You know, the tray table has to be up and folded in the, in, the, in the upright position. Your seat has to be in the upright position, and you have to fasten your seatbelt. And if the flight attendant comes over and says, Mr. McCartney, would you please fasten your seatbelt? And you say, I don't want to. You're now in violation of a federal rule. And uh, this is not a state rule. And you'll be fed by, met, by, met by federal marshals and taken off the plane, and the penalties can be severe. That's what we're talking about here with the masks. Uh, so many flight attendants and flight crews have complained to me because they're being put in the position of being sky cops without any jurisdictional uh, backup because there's no rule right now from the DOT about about the, ma- about the masks. Uh, and I, I actually do agree with you, Scott, that the Biden administration will make that, at least with the DOT, one of their first items of business. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. It's a, it's, um, it, it, it sends a signal, and I think that's what they want to do. And then your last prediction for travel for this year is one that I think we also saw coming a little bit last year, and that is we know that leisure travel is going to be leading the way. It's not going to be business travel, and it's not going to be international travel leading the way. It's going to be domestic travel leading the way. Americans, through no intention of their own, are going to be given the opportunity to rediscover their own country, right? Yeah, very much. I, I think, you know, people will start traveling again. That's great. Um, but they're going to stay close to home. They're, you know, before they venture um, too far afield, I, I think it's a, the comfort of being able to get back home if, uh, if there's a sudden spike um, or something. There's, there's familiarity with the healthcare system, with your health insurance working, with, the, you know, all kinds of factors um, that go into this. I don't think people are going to be venturing out for, exotic uh, locales. Um, 
Now, for some people, you know, familiarity may be going going back to Europe, which they couldn't do last year, and they're dying to do it. And um, once things start opening up, uh, they'll do it. But I think for the most part, uh, we're going to see real increase in uh, in domestic travel. It's, it's interesting to me, I, I saw some data recently. Uh, the the busiest uh, route in the United States right now is Atlanta to Fort Lauderdale. And if that's not a leisure route, a domestic leisure route, I don't, I don't know what is. Um, so I think there's, there's more to come um, exactly in, in, in that vein. And I look for statistics coming from the recreational vehicle industry, not just on RV sales, but RV rentals. They're way up. And uh, we're seeing families traveling as complete units or extended families traveling as complete units because – Let's think about it. You know, self-contained quarantine mobiles. You know, you're not uh, you're not stopping except for gas and groceries, as opposed to hotels and restaurants. And there's a comfort level there. Now that may be diminished as we see more and more implementation of the vaccines. But I think Scott's got a point here. We're really talking about leisure travel, domestic travel, and rediscovering your own backyard on one tank trips. You know, where we can go and back and on one tank of gas. Now all this will change. As more and more people get a little more confident and their comfort zone come back, comes back. But that's really what I think uh, Scott's talking about, and I tend to agree with him. Now, when we come back, we've talked about where we might be traveling. We talked about, you know, you know about what prices are like. But the one thing we're, we haven't talked about is how we're going to travel. We're trying to deal with one-stop shopping here on all things travel as we enter a new year. But many of you... Uh, and I know this because of all the calls and emails I've been getting for the last nine months. If you didn't get a refund, you got a voucher. If you didn't get a refund, you got a travel credit. I'm not just talking about airlines. I'm talking about hotels and cruise lines and resorts and safari operators. And now you're sitting on something as we enter a new year, not sure if you're going to use it, not sure when you're going to use it, or the worst one, not sure if you can ever use it. And of course, the man with the answers the uh, travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, the Honorable Scott McCartney. So what am I doing with all my vouchers, Scott? Well, well you're going to be really frustrated as you try and, and use them. I, I think this is going to be a huge consumer issue this year. Um, and, and airlines, uh, you know, have really gone out of the way to make this more complicated, to, to, to make, make these things that they're handing out. Uh, and there's billions of dollars worth of vouchers out there. Um, make them difficult to use. Um, United, uh, I've gotten more complaints about United than, than anybody. On, on March, th- March 3rd of last year, United made a rule change. And, and mind you, United has two kinds of, of vouchers. Two tra- they have travel credits and they have flight credits. And, and, and the terms are incredibly different on the two, but it is so confusing. Um, so with, with uh, flight credits, Starting March 3rd, and flight credits is, is most of what they've been giving out. Uh, it's a one-shot redemption. So if you have a thousand-dollar flight credit and you book a four hundred-dollar flight with it, United Airlines is going to pocket six hundred dollars, uh, and and you're not going to get that back. Now that you don't get that back their, at all. You don't their, get that back at all. You don't get that back at all. It, there, the residual value disappears. By the way. If you book a flight that's more expensive than your than your flight credit, of course you have to pay the difference. But if you book a flight that's less expensive, 
United no longer will pay you back the difference. And yeah, I, 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 mean, I listen. I, I can live with I can live with having to pay more if the fare is more. But there's something truly inherently wrong. Yes. it's like you get a gift card for a hundred dollars. You spend fifty dollars. Your gift card has a residual value of fifty dollars that you can spend. How yeah. do they get away with this, though? How are they getting uh, away with well, this? Well, that's a that's a really good question, and and I think it I think it's time for the government to start looking looking into this. Um, because it, it really does seem unfair and outrageous as a as, as a consumer issue, and it's and it's even worse than that. It's it, if you if you use the gift card analogy, uh, you you may have a gift card that allows you to buy pajamas, and you say, well, I want to take the or you got the gift card because you return pajamas, um, but now I want to buy a shirt. Oh no, you can't buy a shirt with that gift card. And and the airline analogy, and this is what they're doing is. Um, you may uh, talk to one consumer who who bought tickets through United on flights, um, thousands of dollars worth of business class tickets abroad, uh, all on Lufthansa airplanes, but United code share, and and got the voucher. Wanted to rebook. Even asked uh, the United representative, "Can I rebook the same thing I had before um, with this voucher?" And, and was told yes, but that was incorrect. Uh, it turns out on some vouchers you cannot book partner airlines on 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 it. So you could you may have you may have bought the ticket on a partner airline, but you can't redeem the ticket on a partner airline. Oh um, boy! In, in other ways, uh, you know, you can only the passenger named on the ticket can actually redeem it. You can't use it for your your son or daughter or mom or dad or or anybody else. And that's another sort of disconnect with the gift card business. And there's one more that drives me absolutely up the wall. So let's say, you know, this is January of 2021, and I buy a ticket for a flight in May. And then May comes around, and I can't go. And they said, no problem. We'll give you a voucher for that. And they give me a voucher for the $350 or whatever I paid for the ticket. But the voucher is good for only one year, dating back to when I bought the ticket, not when the flight was supposed to take off. So if you're buying weight, you know, you're, if you're buying tickets way in advance, you got a problem when they issue you a voucher because the validity of your voucher may only be three months. Yeah, it's uh, now some of the vouchers through the pandemic have been extended, um, but we're gonna we're gonna roll up on you know on dates and people just don't know when they can travel again. Still, um, so it becomes yeah. very difficult to redeem the vouchers. My thanks to Scott. There's been a radical transformation of traveler behavior in the wake of the pandemic. It's no longer about where you might want to go on vacation, but where you might want to move based purely on the quality of life. In the old days, and that might have been two years ago, it was a decision powered by the prospect of retirement. Now, all that may be changing. A decision powered by the prospect of the pandemic and working and living from anywhere. Malika Mitra from Money Magazine on the top 10 places in America to retire right now. I came across a story the other day that they do every year in, in Money Magazine. I'm always reading it for obviously selfish and personal reasons, as you would read it as well. Uh, but I'm always interested to see what they chose and, of course, the metrics they use to come up with those, uh, those choices. The piece, the 10, the 10 best places to retire in America. And uh, the person who put that together, Malika Mitra, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... How many different points of reference are you putting into the system to be able to come up with these uh, these ten winners? 
Yeah, so we comb over 47,000 data points from cities across the country. Um, so everything from a location's economy and housing market and cost of living to things like diversity and health and safety. I'm sure health and safety, especially in terms of, of the quality of health care and the availability of it as well. Yeah, definitely. So that's things like cost, but then also, you know, how many hospitals are in the area, how many doctors, things like that. And of course, proximity to beaches and golf courses. You got to throw that into. We do. Yeah, we have proximity to beaches, golf course, but also things like museums, theaters. I mean, we look at a lot of details, like how many people live within walking distance of a park, things like that. So everything you could think of, really. Including, uh, do people there have an active lifestyle? Are they physically fit or they, they practice healthy, a healthy lifestyle as well? Yeah, exactly. Well, I looked at your list, and I have to tell you, I'm I'm so proud of myself because I've actually been to every one of the places you picked. I had this wow. wasn't planned that way, yeah. And your number one winner, I love. I have to say, it in the interest of full disclosure, because I lived there for five years. That's Madison, Wisconsin. Oh yeah. I went Wait, to school there. I'm a badger. You? I'm a badger. So you picked a place that I would love to retire to. But that's not in the offing right now. But because here's a city that's the capital of the state. It's the home of the university. It's surrounded by four lakes. It's uh, everybody bikes. Uh, it's a great place to uh, to raise your kids if you've got kids. It's a great place, I suppose, to hang out with your grandkids. Uh, but why did you pick Madison? Yeah, I mean, all the reasons that you said definitely went into this. And I think a lot of, um, you know, we myself, I was surprised kind of to see Madison at the top just because a lot of the times when you think of retirement destinations, you're thinking of warm places and, you know, maybe not a, a university city. Um, but I think that it being a university city is what bumped um, its score in a lot of our areas. So, um, you know, for example, it has a really good restaurant scene, art scene, and a lot of that is uh, has to do with the university. It has you know, an arboretum, nature preserve, things that the public can enjoy, farmer's markets. Um, also, people over 60 can audit courses at the university for free. Um, that obviously uh, made a big difference this past fall during the pandemic. The school told me 800 people audited virtually this last fall. Um, it also has a lot of retirement communities, actually the most of any of the places on our, our top 10 list. And, you know, you mentioned the food scene there. When I was a student there, there was pizza and fried food. Today, it is a gastronomic festival. And one thing you might not know about, it's got the best farmer's market in America. Every year, uh, between, let's say, uh, uh, March and uh, November, uh, at the state capitol on Saturdays and Sundays, everybody in the state of Wisconsin who grows the food, makes the cheese, cures the meats, they surround the capitol. And the rule is you can only exhibit at the farmer's market if you're the person who grew the vegetables or made the cheese or cured the meat. So when you're going to these stalls, you're talking to the, per the people who actually did it. It's great. Okay, let's go down to number two. This one was a little bit of a surprise. Largo, Florida. Yeah, so, so yeah, this was a bit of a surprise. And I think, you know, no one is shocked that Florida's on a list of best places to retire, but a lot of the times people think of places like Boca Raton and Sarasota as those go-to retirement destinations. But Largo has a lot of the things that those cities have in terms of proximity to beaches and golf courses, but it comes um, at a lower cost of living and lower um, you know, median home price. And one of the places on your list, which I was surprised to see because I didn't know that many people knew about it, we've actually broadcast this show from there, is Franklin, Tennessee. What a cool place. Yeah, Franklin is really cool, and I enjoyed learning ab about it. I mean, a lot of people, you know, probably don't know that it's 
it's home to Dark Horse Recording Studios, so a lot of people's favorite albums may have been recorded there. But um, in terms of being a place to live, there's just a lot going on. Um, obviously, a, a lot of history, but also, again, a really good food scene. Um, it's a really good place if you're a music lover. Um, so, yeah, that, that definitely stuck out um, as an exciting place on this list. And it's been on um, our best places to live list in the past as well. And then there's one that everybody's talked about over the years, but there I saw it again, so I got to mention it. Boise, Idaho. Yeah, Boise, Idaho um, was on there. I think mostly because it kind of has a lot of the feel of a big city. Um, it also has a university like Madison, but it also comes at kind of a, a lower price tag than a lot of the cities um, exactly. that you may think of. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Malika Mitra, who's, of course, the reporter at Money Magazine, putting this deal together on the 10 best places to retire in America. When we come back... We're going to talk about the other five places on the list, and there are some real surprises there, including one, get ready, in New Jersey. Who knew? I've been talking with Malika Mitra from Money Magazine on their 10 best places to retire in America. They do it every year. I love it. Uh, A lot of surprises on this list. Uh, We've talked about Madison, Wisconsin, Largo, Florida, Franklin, Tennessee, Boise, Idaho. But then there comes one, I mean, Lakewood, Colorado, I sort of get, and... uh, And we talked about Boise, of course. Lower Marion, Pennsylvania? Yeah, so Lower Marion, which which is also um, pretty high on our list um, at number three. Um, This is really a popular one because it's right outside of Philadelphia. So it's scored high in things like theaters and museum things to do because, obviously, um, it's right next to Philadelphia, so people can do that. But it also has a lot going forward in terms of being outdoors, you know, a lot of walking trails and um, a pedestrian and bicycle network that um, connects a lot of the like businesses and neighborhoods. So yeah, this was, this was um, uh, definitely an exciting one too. And then I mentioned Lakewood, Colorado. So many of my friends love Colorado and, and they love it not just because of the ski season. They love it all year round. Lakewood certainly qualifies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Colorado uh, is definitely a place to go if you're looking to have a really active retirement, you know, be outdoors. Um, But Lakewood specifically is really appealing because it's just, um, you know, about eight miles outside of Denver. So you can still get a lot of the things that you might want from more of a bigger city um, without actually being in one. I got it. And then uh, Asheville, North Carolina. I know so many of my friends who are living there, not to retire, they just moved there. They just loved it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Asheville, North Carolina has um, gotten a lot of attention, kind of growing attention recently as a tourist destination. It's definitely a a place for foodies. There's a really big food scene. Um, It actually has the most bars and restaurants per capita um, among our 10 winners, which um, I thought was was interesting. And then it also has great like hiking opportunities, things like that. Um, And a lot of those things make it, you know, a good place to retire as well. And then comes the surprise of surprises. Bridgewater, New Jersey. Please explain. <laughs> sure. So, um, you know, obviously it's appealing that um, this is one of the suburbs out right outside of New York City. So, um, you know, being able to go into the city, usually obviously not right now for things like Broadway, um, but without actually having to live in New York City is appealing for a lot of people. It's super easy to get there um, with um, the local transportation. Um, and then it also has a lot of um, outdoors um, activities people can enjoy. There's the Washington Valley Park, um, a 21-acre reservoir um, for fishing and things like that. So, yeah, golf is a big thing. You mentioned that a lot of retirees are looking um, for golf and things like that. Um, 
and it, and it has a lot of golf enthusiasts out there as well. Now, two of the criteria that I know people are really focused on are property taxes and state income taxes. I'm, I'm assuming that New Jersey is high on both of those, whereas maybe Boise, Idaho and Asheville, North Carolina are not. Yeah, definitely. And and we take those kinds of things into account very much when we're doing our scoring overall. We look at ta- overall tax friendliness um, for the the state and also, um, you know, these specific locations. And so we do have some on this list that are a little higher up and balanced out by those, like um, you mentioned, um, the Asheville that, that are a bit lower. Um, and then Largo, Florida, you know, ones like that that are near the top, those also have lower, um, you know, median home prices, things like that. So we take all this into account for sure um, and try to, you know, give everyone a balanced list. And then number nine on your list, which is another surprise to me, is Roseville, California. Where's Roseville? Yeah, so Roseville is about 20 minutes north of Sacramento. Um, And, you know, we definitely wanted to get a California or at least a West Coast um, location on here. And so um, there's a lot of vineyards. Um, Actually, most of any of the other cities on our list in Roseville, um, California, which isn't surprising um, as California is such a popular place for vineyards. Um, And then, you know, the weather is really good. There's a lot to do outside. Um, It has the second largest mall in Northern California. Little things like that also um, get our attention. My thanks to Malika and to Scott McCartney. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for breaking travel news, just log on anytime to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.